MSW Media. Hi, this is Pat Oswalt. And this is Meredith Salinger. And you're listening to What We're Drinking with the very handsome Dan Dunn. <laughs> glug, glug. Glug, glug. Well, pour yourself a glass, sit for a spill. It's time to have some fun. Let's do a little thinking, some picking and a drinking. Well, this is what we're drinking with Dan Dunn. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. Yeah! Coming up in just a bit, uh, I'm going to be talking to Bruce Russell. Bruce, part of the Russell family of Kentucky. Perhaps the most famous whiskey-making family in the world. Could certainly make a compelling argument. Bruce's father, Eddie, and grandfather, Jimmy, of Wild Turkey and Russell's Reserve, Fame are both in the Bourbon Hall of Fame. I suspect uh, Bruce will end up there one day as well. So you're going to want to hear that. We talk a, a lot about the legacy, the family legacy, and some new uh, new expression that just came out from Russell's Reserve, one of the finest whiskeys that I have tried in quite some time. That's all coming up. All right, all right, all right. Our old pal Maynard James Keenan sings songs for some of the Biggest bands in the land, including Tool, Perfect Circle, and Pussifer. Well, Pussifer, the latter, they're going to be doing an exclusive, (laughs) butchered that word, an exclusive streaming event in October, October 28th to be exact. They're going to be doing two concert films, streaming them. One's called Parole Violator. The other is V, is for versatile or versatile, depending on how you like to pronounce such things. And you can get the double feature ticket for only $25. And they got all kinds of other stuff. They got bundles. You can get uh, some vinyl, some signed vinyl, some signed posters. Where you're going to find all this information is at PussiferTV.com. That's P-U-S-C-I-F-E-R-T-V.com. Go support Maynard. He's uh, maybe he's a little down on his luck these days. Down on you know money-wise. I don't know. No, I'm just kidding. Guy's got money. He's got his own wine brands. He's killing it. But you know what? It's Pussifer stuff. They did a live one during COVID, a live stream, and it was incredible. And I suspect this one will be also. But go there. Support friends of the show, like Maynard. We usually drop one episode of what we're drinking per week on Tuesdays. You know this. Come on. This week we're going to drop two. That's right. Thursday, got another episode coming up because I got so much. There's just a backlog of information I need to get out to you. So we're going to have two this week. Uh, this The one on Thursday is going to feature a fine practitioner of the mixological arts named Luke Neff, who's based out here in Los Angeles. Luke and I are going to be talking vodka, drinks making, among other things. Also, true crime, all the rage, podcasting, TV. I got a little true crime story that came across my desk. I want to tell you about now a little breaking news. Breaking news. So according to a Washington Times 
or excuse me, the Washington Post. I don't read the Washington Times. According to the Washington Post story from September 20th, the headline reads, Prosecutors allege an inside job. The target? Rare bourbon. Yeah, timely, because we're going to be talking bourbon with uh, Bruce Russell. So, as I understand it, according to the article, what, what was happening here was this. It happened in Virginia. This is where it all went down. A guy named Rob Adams promised bourbon fans something most could not. Easy access to the good stuff. This according to the Washington Post. So, you know, bourbon's been on the rise for over a decade now. And and as we've talked about numerous times with numerous people on this show, people collect. They like to get out. They get the, they get the good stuff. But how do you get the good stuff? I, you've heard me ask everybody, where do we get it? Is it possible to get it? All right. So in Virginia, where they have state-run liquor stores, brands where they're coming out with, you know, rare expressions, they allocate them to certain stores throughout the state. And the only people that have this information ahead of time are the brands themselves and the and the folks at the ABC, the Alcoholic Beverage Control Authority. And what basically happened was the the guy I mentioned named Adams did not work for the ABC, but he 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 solicited a guy that worked at the ABC named Edgar Garcia, and he would get the information ahead of time. Government information. Can you imagine taking government information illegally? Who would do that? <clears throat> anyway, he would pass this information on to Adams, and Adams essentially set up a a system where people would pay money to him to give them the information about where these bottles were going to go on sale. Now look, this guy Garcia, they say he was making $16.53 an hour. You know, making a lot of money. Certainly not the kind of money that he could go out and buy these expensive bottles. But what he did have access to was the list of distribution. You know, so he could tell you where Angel's Envy Cash Strength or Old Fitzgerald's 17-year-old bottle and bond, Whistle Pig's 18-year-old double malt rye, other sought-after bottles. He knew where those bottles were going to be before they got there. So Adams apparently paid Garcia $600 for access to the list and also promised him bottles of booze. Guess Garcia was a sucker for booze. And Adams set up a private Facebook page and he... Uh, is accused of distributing the list for a fee, but uh, according to the post, the, the, the access price for access varied, but it hovered around $300. And he marketed this information. He was shameless about it. There was about 25 members to the group paying about a lot of money, several hundred dollars, just to find this out. Anyway, very brazen. I, I say go check it out. The Washington Post... You can read the whole thing, but needless to say, there are scumbags in our midst and they're trying to get a a leg up in the pursuit of good whiskey. I understand it. I do. But come on. Oh, behave. Another segment we like to do here on the on the show. We've been doing this a lot lately. I don't know. The the pitches are coming fast and furious. I get pitched by publicists and some of most of them. The overwhelming majority of these pitches are very helpful. A lot of times it's stuff that winds up on the show came from publicists. But every once in a while I get these pitches from publicists that are just so, where did this come from? This pitch is so far outside the zone. 
I want you to throw the next one at the mascot. Why? I'm finally throwing it where I want to throw it. Just throw it at the ball, right? Just a bit outside. All right. So last week I got a pitch and it said, in the pitch, it said, Did you know, Dan, that making alcohol remo- alcohol removed wines, it's alcohol dash removed, wine without booze in it, right? No alcohol. Did you know that making alcohol removed wines costs 43% more than it does to make alcoholic wines? No, I didn't know that because I don't give a shit about alcohol removed wines. It's called fucking grape juice and get it to, to Whole Foods. cheaper at Vons or wherever you shop. So here's where the pitch gets me. It says, in light of, wait for it, Sober October. Sober October. We thought you and your readers might be interested in learning more about the process with, I won't say the wine brand's name. And then they go on and they talk about how the this wine creating, crafting complex wines designed for alcohol removal. They then vacuum distill them. Typically, 30% of the wine is lost during the distillation necessary. Gently boil off the alcohol. Some brands may add in water fruit juices to make up the difference. This wine brand stands out from the pack by using only premium grapes. So I wrote back to this publicist and I, I said, hey, I don't even know what, uh, what is this sober October? I never heard of it. Publicist wrote back and said it's the new thing. It's the new dry January, which begs the question: Wasn't dry January enough? This is off-brand for me. I almost want to just give in and go. Oh, fine, fine. Why stop at dry January and sober October? Let's make every month alcohol-free and put me right the fuck out of business in the process. Why not? I'm I'm tired anyway. I'm tired. I right, but for this to work, I think you got to give these months catchy names. So I came up with a few of them. Uh, first of all, let me just say this. Dry January is a lame name, right? It is. But it's already so well established. I, I don't know if there's any use trying to change it. But if I were able to change it and somehow make my new name for the month stick, I would go with, uh, ah, fuck, it's January. Right? As in, ah, fuck, I can't drink, it's January. Month. If you're going to continue it into February, the shortest month of the year, Maybe call that 28 Days Hater. Hearkening back to the film 28 Days Later, which was scary and horrible, as would be a month, 28 days of no alcohol. In February and 29, during a leap year. March, we could go with moderation. March, you get a lose. Some drinking. Do some drinking in March. Not a lot. It's like the uh, boozing equivalent of just a tip. That's what we do. Okay? And then April, abstemious April. Not having any. May, no way, May. No way. No way, May. Not drinking. Ginless June. No rye July. And by the time August rolls around, I think we're back to, ah, fuck, it's August. God damn, I can't drink. Maybe on a, for the next month, we go a little positive. It could be a September to remember. Because, you know, if you're drinking, you might not remember. But if you're not drinking, you get it. All right, you see where I'm going here. Sober October. I don't agree with the concept, but I gotta say that name kind of sticks the landing. It really does. So we'll stay. We'll stay with Sober October. How about no, 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 no? November, raising that drink to your lips, and they go, no, 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 don't do it. No, 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 November. And then, I mean, ah, Christ, missed it. So now that doesn't work. What can we do for December? You know what? For December, I think we just gotta go with the one that works. Ah, fuck. <laughs> 
It's December. <sighs> I need to be reminded of the good old days when we weren't attacking, drinking. People weren't coming knives out for us. People that enjoy responsibly adult beverages. I just want to feel the good old days. Somebody help me out. And now, a word from one of our dream sponsors. Peel's Beer, circa 1950s. My name is George. I don't like a beer intended for ladies. I like a light beer, brewed for men. Have a belt of Peel's Honest Beer. Discover a light beer, brewed for men. My name is Rita. I don't like a beer intended for ladies. I like a light beer, brewed for men. Do have a belt of Peel's Honest Beer. Discover a light beer, brewed for men. Friends, I love football. I really do. There's just something so exhilarating about watching grown men in silly padded outfits getting in there and mixing it up. And speaking of mixing it up, how's that for a segue, huh? When you're having friends over to watch football, the last thing in the world you want to do is be spending half the damn game playing Master Mixologist. It's a time-consuming pain in the ass. That's why my fridge is always well-stocked with ready-made mixers from Fresh Victor. If I've said it once, I've said it 14,763 times. You can buy the finest, fanciest, most expensive spirits in the world to make craft cocktails at home. But if you use Lamo mixers, you're going to get Lamo drinks. That ain't gonna happen with Fresh Victor. A line of all-natural, clean-label cocktail mixers that are as smooth as Josh Allen throwing the long ball. Fresh Victor features eight unique blends with contemporary flavors designed to suit any palate. All the ingredients are fair trade sourced. There's no artificial anything. Mixers are produced at a 100% solar-powered juicing plant with absolutely no waste. Right now, Fresh Victor is offering a blowout win of a deal to my listeners. Simply go to FreshVictor.com, fill up your shopping cart, and at checkout, enter promo code WWD20 to get 20% off your order. Touchdown! Score! Something else! Here's what I know. Now's the time to treat yourself to the very best mixers on the market. And that's Fresh Victor. Joining me now, good to see him. It's been uh, my former podcast, Drinky Fun Time. He was, if not the first guest, one of the very first guests on that show. And he's great. He's the national ambassador for Wild Turkey Distilling Company. He comes from a lineage that is probably unmatched in these United States in terms of bourbon and legacy. And we're going to get into all that. It's great to see Bruce Russell. How are you, buddy? I'm doing great. And it's uh, it's been a little bit since we've seen each other in person. You remember we did that old drinky fun time thing that was out here at a place called Hatchet Hall, probably yeah. what five years ago. Yeah, probably. I think I was actually the second person on. Were you? I think so, Bert- yeah. Anthony Bourdain was the first guest, I believe. Yes. Yeah. So you know, he was your opening act, as they say. Yeah, that's right. So you, uh, it's great to see you, man. And, and, and I've got so much I want to get into with you. Uh, I guess the first thing that we're, we're here to talk about is, you know, you're with 
Russell, Bruce Russell's reserve, uh, has a new, uh, single Rickhouse collection and the inaugural release has just come out and we're going to talk about that. But before we go there, let's talk about the Russell part of that. And that is you and your dad and your grandfather tell people out there that might not be familiar about the Russell family and what it means in the world of bourbon. Cool. So, uh, yeah, we're the Russells. We are uh, one of the uh, kind of bourbon families. A lot of the distilleries that uh, have been around a while, whether it be Beam or uh, Heaven Hill, Maker's Mark, us, um, there's a family involved. A lot of times it's in the distilling and blending of the product like us. Sometimes it's on the marketing side. Sometimes like Heaven Hill, it's the ownership. It's a family owned company. But there are a lot of times there's a family kind of behind the scenes and our family happens to be the one at Wild Turkey. Um um, fourth generation that we know of that's worked at Wild Turkey. There's more generations before that that worked in the whiskey industry. But uh, my granddad was the first one of us to, to kind of move his way up from just being a normal laborer at the distillery. My granddad started when he was 19 in uh, 1954. And this is Jimmy, Jimmy Russell we're talking about. Jimmy, yeah. yeah. Um, I refer to him lovingly as a Mimi. He's not granddad to any of us because he never wanted to be seen as old. He's 88. He's still not old, you know. Um, Incredible. but, uh, Mimi started when he was 19 and he wasn't here very long. He was only here a little over a decade. He was right around 30 when he was named master distiller because the guy he learned for had been around so long, you know, he was like Mimi's age now, but back then, and, uh, he got named master distiller in the mid sixties. Um, and so all the wild Turkey that most people go crazy for now, all the vintage stuff, that's the stuff that, that Jimmy was making back in the day. And, ju- and just so we're clear, because I, 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 you're, you're underselling a little bit here. So Jimmy is known, I guess, far and wide as the master distiller's master distiller. He is the longest serving master distillery ever in the history. Yeah, of, in, in the of, history in, of the world. In the history of, of yeah. the, kind of, right? In the world, right? Is, it yeah, is, and, yeah. And, and, and he is obviously a first ballot inductee into the Bourbon Hall of Fame for good reason. And yeah. uh, he's put wild turkey kind of on the map, right? And then... Oh, yeah, he did. Yeah. Um, and, you know, to me, he's just Mimi. But you're correct. Like, he, he's the longest tenured master distiller in the history of spirits that we know of. Um, he's been around now for 68 years, um, plugging away at the distillery. He was at work today. I was hanging out with him earlier. He got on me uh, because I left something of his in a place I shouldn't have. And he got mad. <laughs> Um, but he, he's here every single day, even on Saturdays and Sundays, he loves it more than just about anything else in the world. Um, it's, it's, it's all he knows how to do. Uh, he, he's really the one with a couple other guys, namely Booker, no and Elmer T. Lee, but really it was him and Booker. They were on the road in, in the late eighties, early nineties. They kind of kept bourbon afloat as everybody was drinking, you know, vodka, tequila and stuff like that. And they kind of forgot about American whiskey. Well, what's funny about that, Bruce, is that is before I ever got into this field, spirits reportage and, and punditry, whatever you want to call it, I was working as a newspaper columnist, a young newspaper columnist in Arizona. So this would have been the late 90s. And got a pitch from a guy named Jim Kikoris, uh about the Kentucky Bourbon Trail. This is oh, yeah. 25 years ago. I don't know shit from Shinola about the Kentucky bourbon trail or bourbon or any of it. Right. But he said, we're coming through town. 
And it's myself and a gentleman by the name of Booker No, who's Jim Beam's great-grandson. And would you be interested in us coming by your office and you could taste some bourbon with us? I'm not a spirits writer or anything. I was a, I wrote about politics and humor. But I said, sure, let's do it. And that was my introduction to the world of bourbon came via Booker No, who the late, great Booker No, who has as you know, is a one of the great characters of all time in, in any business. Booker came in, he's a big old guy talking like this, he had a cane, and and he brought all this whiskey with him, and and I was dumb, and I didn't know anything, and I but he was so great, I, I would ask him, like, I was worried, am I drinking this the wrong way? There's no wrong way, and, and he would start telling stories, but he actually told me a story about uh, I think Jimmy was involved in this where they were talking about their, this distillery and then they, they drank a couple bottles of that and then they headed over to the other distillery and this. And, and again, this is 20 some years. I said, well, boy, sounds like you had a lot of whiskey and then you drove to the other place. He goes, oh, you couldn't, you couldn't hit anything back then. There was nothing to hit. <laughs> and I was like, that sounds like Booker. That was Booker. And that's, that was my introduction to bourbon. And so, uh, Obviously, I've been hooked ever since. But your dad and, and Booker were, were real, or, excuse me, your grandfather and Booker, I'm sure your dad was too, were real tight. Yeah, so there's kind of been, with our family and them, uh, a relationship as it goes down. You know, Booker and Jimmy were close, and then Booker's son, Fred, and dad kind of came up with the industry, and it's really cool because uh, a lot of the families have kind of either moved on to other things or... um they're in distilling, but they're not at the original distillery, but I'm still at wild Turkey. And then Booker's grandson, Freddie, um, he's now making whiskey over at Jim Beam. So it's cool that there's still two of us left. Now let's, now let's go. Your, your father, mm-hmm. Eddie. Dad he, started in 81. Okay. He had a little different of a, uh, of an upbringing in the industry. I think he actually had it a little bit harder than Jimmy, to be honest. Cause when Jimmy started, when he was 19, he started off right off the bat in the lab. And that really influenced, I think, the way that Jimmy thinks about whiskey. It's He cares about a lot of it before it goes into the barrel. Distillation, fermentation, that kind of stuff. Well, Dad started off bottom rung in the union. Jimmy started him off as the very bottom guy at the distillery. So he was rolling barrels and rickhouses, really. And uh, when you look which at is, a lot of- Which is hard work. It's hard work. Uh, today, everything in the distillery basically is automated, except for the movement of the barrels. And so- there's still crews of men and women that are in these rickhouses rolling 500 pound barrels. It's very, very hard work. It's probably the the most labor intensive job you could have at a distillery. And that's what dad was doing. And I think that's why a lot of his stuff, including the, the product we'll talk about a little later, a lot of his stuff is focused on maturation or specific rickhouses or secondary aging. Cause that's kind of what he grew up doing in the industry. So he started bottom man in the union so I got a lot of respect for dad for doing this. He wanted to get out of the union and you couldn't at that time without a college degree. He didn't have one at the time. So he put himself through night school, got a college degree, moved his way out of the union, um, was a warehouse supervisor and manager for most of the time I was growing up. And then eventually Jimmy trusted him enough. He named him associate distiller. And then it's just been within the last 10 years that dad's been a quote unquote master distiller, whatever you want to call it. I mean, that's what his title is, but I do the quotes because dad has been, you know, kind of at the forefront of making our whiskey long before then, uh, really since around 2000, uh, dad's kind of been in control of everything since the first Russell's came out. 
And um, I think it's awesome that we have dad and Jimmy here at the same time because they don't get along at all at work (laughs) (laughs) because my grandmother's terrifying, but it's uh, at work and she's the best granny Joe. But uh, well, I'll tell you what, I mean, for anybody, you know, out there, I mean, just salt of the earth, great people. I mean, I've, I've got to hang with your dad numerous times, as you know, and then Jimmy, I let, I, boy, I think the last time I saw Jimmy was they did something at Tales of the Cocktail, uh, probably four years ago, five years, what it, celebrating yeah. his 65th year or whatever the hell it was, 60 yeah. years in the business. And uh, man, just the energy, the enthusiasm, it's there with, with both of them, you know? And, and what yeah. was great is that your dad, you talk about your dad's journey. And then eventually, I think it was in 2010, he joined, uh, he joined, Eddie joined Jimmy in the Kentucky Bourbon Hall of Fame. And uh, when when are you getting in? Probably 10 more, 15, 20 years from now? Yeah, it'll be a couple more decades. I'm still the young guy. Still the Because um, I've only been around now for 12 years. Okay. So I got a lot of ways to catch up for dads. 41 now and Jimmy 68. Amazing. So when you, so let's see, I'm trying to do the math here. So when Russell's reserve and I'm, I'm jumping in and doing uh, your job here, but basically I think it was a, that uh, Jimmy had 45 years in, in service at wild Turkey. And then sort of to commemorate that Eddie made a special small batch bourbon that you dubbed Russell's reserve. Do I have that right? You're exactly right. So kind of the, the story behind that, Jimmy was going to have his 45th anniversary. Um, our parent company at the time uh, had got with Jimmy and Jimmy had kind of started to act like he was going to retire, which he's still around. <laughs> and so, cool, we'll do this big kind of like launch party of this product. It'll be a one-time thing. We'll make this really cool small batch. We'll let Eddie do it. And then we'll, you know, send Jimmy off uh, the right way because we think he's going to retire. And so dad started to kind of plug uh, around, you know, look for barrels, uh, drill holes in barrels, that kind of stuff, looking for good stuff to, to blend in Jimmy's whiskey. Um, and that was right around 99, 2000. And he knew whatever he was going to make, Mimi, Jimmy probably wasn't going to like because they don't like the same whiskey, which, again, I actually think it makes our whiskey really good because they do completely different styles. So you get a little bit of everything while turkey right now. Um, Real quick, I want to touch on that point. Yeah, what's Jimmy's style? Just broad strokes. Jimmy's style versus Eddie's style. Jimmy's style is almost aggressive in flavor. It's punchy. It's a lot of flavor right up front. Um, it's old school bourbon, so it is big, bold, in your face. It's hot. It's sweet. It's delicious. And then it kind of smooths out towards the back end. Um, Dad's style is kind of the the same flavor profile, but you flip it around. So his is much more inviting up front. It's very silky up front. He likes a lot of like sweet cream, creme brulee, vanilla, honey, those kind of flavors up front. And then it picks up a lot of its kind of spice and more oak and stuff towards the middle and back. And I think dad stuff has a lot longer of the finish, even though it has a much easier front. And so I think that like dad does a much more kind of modern whiskey approach and Jimmy's stuff is still like way more old school. Jimmy's stuff would be like, one-on-one rare breed Kentucky spirit and dad stuff would be more like uh, the Russell's lines, the master's keeps, stuff like that. So Jimmy's is uh, the stuff that'll give you as, as Booker eloquently put it to me all those years ago, give you the bust head. Yeah. He said, Uh, I remember he said the bust head and I said, what is that? And he said, that's when you wake up the next day. If you feel like your head's just going to (laughs) bust. 
<laughs> yeah. He uh he had a famous quote Booker did I, that I've heard other people tell that he liked his whiskey to knock your teeth in a little bit. Um and those old school whiskey guys, that's how they thought. They so loved Jimmy's Jimmy's more in that in that school of uh Oh yeah. That. That's why him and Booker got along. They'd be drinking barrel proof whiskey all the time. Okay. So now you yeah. now you do this and then in two thousand one, Wild Turkey launched a ten year old uh, Kentucky straight bourbon. 101 proof. That's, that's the beginning. That's the first uh, expression you put out, right? Yeah. So when dad was working on that product, he actually found a few barrels that Jimmy had been tasting a little bit more than he probably should have. So we normally taste barrels once every two years at Wild Turkey. We call it anniversary sampling. And there were, you know, a couple dozen barrels that Jimmy was drinking more than once every two years. Dad went and checked. They were all 10, 11 and 12 year old barrels. They had a very specific flavor profile that I think really it kind of set the foundation for the other stuff that dad's done, kind of set up his flavor profile. And then he came out with it during the big party that was supposed to be for Jimmy's anniversary. He got a nice, like, custom Rolex. He got the nice bottle. Everybody cried and carried on. And then Jimmy just came back to work on Monday and acted like that never happened. And uh, so we kept Jimmy and we kept the bottle. And uh, it was great for us. Nobody cared about Russell's for the first, you know, handful of years. But then in the mid-2000s, whiskey started to, to pick up. You know, you started to see that kind of uh, bourbon boom, like the beginnings of it. And while a lot of people were kind of scrambling to have like a cool product to put out there, now that people were wanting more limited stuff, we already had this awesome small batch, the Russell's 10, which still continues to be probably our most sought after small batch. And then in 2007, Eddie uh, created a rye, a six-year-old rye at 90 proof. That was Probably when the first thing that was on my radar for Russell's Reserve, I remember trying, because that's back when I was writing for Playboy, so I was getting a lot of stuff, and I remember I wasn't well-versed in rye, and that was kind of one of the first rye whiskeys that to me just went, oh yeah, now I get it. I get this. Like, this is, this is just, it's just a lovely, it's a lovely whiskey. It's awesome. And uh, it was really, I think the, the, the product that, convinced our companies uh over the years that like we can do more cool stuff with rye the first product that i ever had a hand in like doing was rare breed rye which is still probably my favorite thing that we put out annually um it's still pretty new but there wouldn't be a rare breed rye there wouldn't be single barrel rye there would have never been a master's keep uh rye that we did if if six-year-old never would have came out i don't really even know like what possessed dad to do that at the time um but I'm glad he did because it, it, it proved to everybody that Wild Turkey can make like an awesome small batch kind of um, uh, really premium raw. Hey, here's a question, and I'm sure you've gotten this. You probably got it from me in the past. But what informed your decision to go more into the marketing sort of promoting side, which you're obviously great at? But why that? You would think like natural progression would be, all right, I'm next up. I'm going to be the next master distiller. Funny you say that because now I'm actually uh, starting October 1st, going to be a blender. <laughs> so, ah, okay. Yeah. You rethought um, things, huh? Yeah. So uh, I kind of did it the opposite that Jimmy and dad did. So Jimmy had worked here for probably 45 years before he ever went on the road. Dad was probably around about 25 to 30 years before he really started to travel on the road heavy. And so the company and, and dad and Jimmy, and I, I kind of agree with them now that I went through it because I grew up at the distillery. I knew how our whiskey was made. Now I didn't know all of the kind of like finer uh, points on the technical side of things. Like I'm trying to learn now, 
um, and, or that I already do know now. Um, I was still pretty green on that stuff, but I had way more knowledge than your typical ambassador or even most people that would be working in the stewards would have. And so they thought it would be good for me to get out on the road and learn that side of it because for both of them, it was harder for them to learn that side of things than it was at the distillery. Um, it, I mean, I grew up in a different era than they did. You know, I grew up in a kind of a connected era with the internet and all that kind of stuff. So I wasn't like shocked to go to big cities and stuff. I don't think in the same way that they were, but I'm really glad that they had me do that because part of being like a, a member of the family or face of the brand, a, a huge part of it now is marketing. It's, it's, relations it's doing media well, stuff. And, and you 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 mentioned you know eddie starting out in in the rick house and, and and rolling barrels which i'm sure was invaluable in terms of building up his biceps and everything else and, but in terms of what you're doing you're absolutely right like i think now if you're moving into the the creating and the blending and, and distilling part of it you have a perspective they didn't have in terms of being in the market meeting with consumers and bartenders and the people that are that ultimately are going to be consuming your product or buying your product i got to figure that's going to be a real help for you and having that experience i think is going to be invaluable moving forward in the blending part of it yeah me and dad talk about it quite a bit that you know, it wasn't really until about 2011 that he started to listen to anybody but Jimmy. And he said he completely changed the way he thought about whiskey whenever he would travel around. And um, really, it was the bartending scene at that time was blowing up as people were going more towards what's commonplace now, you know, old fashions, Manhattans, Boulevardiers, that kind of stuff. And dad would ask bartenders, hey, why are people going crazy for it? What do you all think sells? Like, what works for you all? And uh, it completely changed the way he thought about whiskey. So, yeah, a lot of times when we're working stuff now together, me and dad, and we're in the lab, most of the questions are, hey, what are your buddies saying about this? Or, yeah. hey, have you heard anything about this new release that I saw online? Like, what, what's it all about? And being on the road, I can tell him, like, hey, I was just in L.A. or in New York or Chicago or Austin or Miami or whatever, and I saw this really cool brand. Everybody's going crazy for it because they do this very particular thing. And now, uh, you know, we're able to kind of, easily pivot because we have so much whiskey and there's so much demand for all our stuff and we can do really cool kind of like one-off things that we never would have been able to do before. Uh, earlier you mentioned Boulevardier, man. What are your favorite bourbon rye drinks beyond the usuals? Like what, if you're going out and you're having a cocktail, tell us something, give us a little inside knowledge about a good drink that maybe isn't on everybody's radar. Yeah. So, um, I actually don't really care that much for old-fashioned Manhattan or Boulevardiers because I've had so much of them now. I'm sick of them. Sure. And uh, they're just pretty standard stirred whiskey cocktails. They're absolutely delicious. But really, to me, if I'm going to have just a stirred whiskey cocktail most of the time, I'd rather just drink the bourbon neat or the raw neat. Um, So I like something that's got kind of like a weird twist on it. So like for me, if I'm going to have like kind of a dark whiskey cocktail, like a Sazerac to me is awesome. Cause it's just not going to taste like a typical, you know, uh, stirred whiskey cocktail because of the absinthe, uh, rinse involved. Um, I mean, it's been warm in Kentucky. It was 98 degrees here yesterday. So, uh, I've been drinking a lot of paper planes. Sure. Um, if people like, like kind of like a whiskey sour, um, it's in the kind of the same universe. It's absolutely delicious. That's probably the thing I drink most. Like a, what about a whiskey, like a smash too. You're talking about the smash brand ice in there. Yeah. Little oh. fruit. Boy. Yeah. Awesome. And then to be honest, like yeah, I've picked this up from some of my buddies over at Beam and, and some of the other like Japanese companies. 
Um, if it's hot outside, like one of our products called Long Branch, it's just really like it's really light and delicate and fruity. Um, kind of reminds me of a Japanese. Oh, whiskey. I know Long Branch. We've had Mr. McConaughey on this very program nice. here, and uh, and uh, he, boy, what a what a character in terms of telling. Oh yeah, he's uh, a lot know, of fun to hang out with. He's great, and we actually did this was just prior to COVID. We, so we actually did the interview with Matthew in person. And boy, he can, he could tell a story, but he would talk about how he was dealing with your dad, with Eddie, trying to come up with the, the right formula for Long Branch. And I guess he was camping and I'm sure you, you know, the story he was out with his oh, family yeah. by the river and it was like three in the dad morning, like four in the morning and said, I got it. This is the yeah. one right here. And how is it working with him? It's great. Um, and I, I drink his product a lot as like a highball. Uh, that's kind of my favorite way to drink it. Matthew's been good to us, you know. Um, a thing I really respect him for is he does a lot of charity work. I mean, he he doesn't come from money. You know, he he comes from a place kind of like where I'm from. He comes, comes from I Uvalde. Come from Pittsburgh, which is a small town, yeah. Right. So he comes from small town, Texas. And uh, he, he, he can relate to us in a way that I think probably a lot of celebrity people couldn't. He's give back to our community here in Lawrenceburg, which means the world to me. And he's very sweet to my grandmother, which means the world to me. And she gets so flustered when he's around. <laughs> it cracks me up. But he's a she's, super nice. She's a McConaughey fan, your grandmother? Yeah, she's a fan of something, you know. <laughs> she thinks he's awful cute. Um, hey, he, I'll, I'll admit it here. I think to. he's awful cute, too. You know? Yeah. yeah. You know, he's, a, he's a charming guy, too. He just has that. Uh, and what a great ambassador to have. For the, uh, I guess his title is what creative director at, at what, yeah. But it's a good. Uh, some of these look. I have a lot of celebrities on this show, and they're not always good fits, you know. But McConaughey yeah. is one of those guys where not only is he on brand, as you would say, his passion, enthusiasm, his just genuine love for the whiskey comes through. It, it, it's completely. Reads is authentic, and I imagine it is. It is. I mean, right off the bat, he hung out with me and Dad and Jimmy for a whole day here at the distillery, and uh, we all four drank a whole lot of whiskey, and he was telling stories with Jimmy, and then by the end, he was like, I've got to be a part of this because I just think this old man is so cool, and the whiskey's so good, and I like love the family like aspect of it. And uh, we, it's been great hanging out with him. Um, I think Branch ended up being – and I've told him this. I, I think it's – it's better than I ever thought it could be, you know, because we were all a little hesitant to bring a celebrity on because we'd never done anything like that. And it's really easy for big companies to bring a celebrity on and do some weird like flavored thing or some weird kitschy little thing. And uh, we put out an eight year old um, awesome Kentucky straight bourbon. That well, and I it's still- and the price point for that, too, is I, I guessing it like in the mid 30s, 40 bucks around there for the yeah, it's around 40 bucks, I think, which brings us to a uh, to. <laughs> To the new thing you got, which is a little bit pricier. A little bit pricier, yeah. This is, uh, as, I, as I mentioned, it, you just introduced this. It's, a, it's called the uh, Russell's Reserve Single Rickhouse Collection. Tell us a little bit about the collection itself and then about this specific, uh, the first one that you put out. Yeah, so I already got a little bit poured up for me. Uh, got me a nice bottle here. You can see kind of the I was I was drinking, I was partaking the other night. I did all my sampling awesome. the other night, yeah. Um, so it's got a lot of the the same kind of, uh, you know, telltale signs of the, the rest of the Russell's bottles, that big block lettering and kind of the uh, the two panel label. It's got a really beautiful rickhouse in the background. But 
this was something that actually w- was partly our idea and then actually partly ideas from some of our consumers. We kept getting requests for specific rick houses, and it, it really came about from our private barrel program. So our distillery and many other distilleries now, we sell individual barrels to bars, restaurants, liquor stores, uh, private individuals, bourbon groups, what have you. And each of those barrels is very unique. Well, certain years we would have specific rickhouses that people would go crazy for. And we'd notice that like, you know, these bottles that should retail for about 50 or 60 bucks, they'd be trading online for hundreds of dollars because they came from one particular rickhouse that was very popular that year. And then we would have consumers that would ask, hey, we really like like Warehouse G or Warehouse K or whatever it might be. Do you think that you would do something that was only that rickhouse? And uh, we kind of, we looked through what our stock was and thought that was a pretty cool idea. We knew we wanted to do something new that would be a limited product on the Russell side. And just kind of a perfect storm happened. So we ran into some really good liquid at Camp Nelson, which is an offsite aging location. And in my opinion, it's the best liquid that we have aging currently is all at Camp Nelson. Um, We argue over which rickhouse is best, um, but we ran into some particularly very almost like dessert-like whiskey. It's very sweet um, in Camp Nelson C. And that rickhouse actually was scheduled to be uh, demolished, torn down. So we were going to have to move that liquid. And we just kind of thought it was the perfect opportunity to utilize the super sweet liquid, blend it together, uh, make a -a one-of-a-kind product. Um, And it ended up being better than I ever thought it could. So the rickhouse series is something that um, I hope continues. Uh, we'll have more, hopefully, to share uh, soon on like what else is going to come out besides this one. And this just came out too, right, Bruce? Like just, it just, just came out. It won't even be like released uh, in all the markets. It's going to be released, and it is um, in, in you know pretty select markets in more of our big markets. It's also going to be available at our distillery, um, but it is non-chill filtered, barrel proof, extremely small. When you say about it's one hundred and twelve point four. Proof, so yep. it's got a little bit of kick to it, as as Bruce mentioned. And I'll just tell you what I w- when I was my tasting notes on it, it. You know, when you mentioned that sweetness, I definitely got sort of that toffee notes, and there was some vanilla in there. I, I thought the mouth feel had a very sort of silky mouth feel to it, creamy, you know. And uh, yeah. I got some some brown sugar in there, just a little bit of a, tr- a tropical note. Is that? That yeah. makes sense. Like, I got it. Like, I don't know. Um, we had somebody try it the other day and they said it tasted like uh, brown sugar and pineapple. Yeah, and, that could be it. Yeah, so that, yeah, that could be. Yeah, that's maybe that is kind of what it got. But it, boy, it it is such a, I mean, look, I'm a fan. You know that. I've been a fan for a long time. And you guys, I don't think anybody in the business knows what they're doing more than the Russells. So you're never going to get a bad whiskey. Uh, but this one, boy. Really, it's a standout. Now, there is some bad news here, folks that are listening. Um, you're going to have to, you know, maybe pick up a couple extra shifts if you want to get some of this because it is $250 a bottle. But you know what? You got to pay to play if you're going to, you want to get the best stuff out there. It's going to cost you. And how much of this is there available in the market? Uh, it's very limited. Um, I think the last time I saw, it's only like a couple thousand cases. So it's going to sell out. It's going to go yeah, pretty quick. It, it'll sell out. It's going to be a, a much more limited product than even our master's keeps and stuff like that. Um, and we kind of like it to be limited. 
um, at least on for this stuff, because it's supposed to just kind of be like a really cool thing at one specific time. Um, hopefully this continues. I love the idea of continuing to blend stuff one Rick house at a time. And you want to do that. You, you were the idea is it's going to be an annual thing. So every, every year there will be a, a different release in this collection. Yeah, we hope so. So something like this, just like we, we had a previous, like kind of Russell's, uh, LTO. There were the Russell's vintages. There's Russell's 98, 2002 and 2003. Yep. Those annual but they were pretty regular releases. i got a bottle sitting right over there on my bar um those are awesome i think this might be more like that where we'll try to put out as many as we can hopefully um until the whiskey the really special good whiskey kind of dries up and then you know we'll we'll get into a huddle again and figure out the next really cool thing that we're going to do um i will like say it, it's the whisk the thing that i think is really cool about the whiskey world right now is it's so hot and it continues to be really hot that distilleries, even like us that are kind of large traditional distilleries, we're able to do stuff like this now where even when I started 12 years ago, like the super cool thing would be to put out like uh, a 10 year old small batch that's regularly available everywhere or putting out a single barrel that's going to be, you know, every year. And now we're getting able to do just like really cool kind of niche stuff like the single rickhouse series and, I hope it continues because this is the stuff that me and dad nerd out about is when we run into a Rick house or we end up drinking something in the lab and it blows us away. Now we're able to go to our parent company and say, Hey, this stuff is unbelievable. We need to put it into a bottle and, and they're ready to go. Well, I'm, uh, I'm excited to see what, uh, what the eventual Bruce Russell error whiskey making is going to look like. Yeah. Uh, and, It'd be a lot more rye whiskey. Let me tell you. You're, you're a rye fan, huh? Oh yeah, big time. Well, listen, Bruce. It's always it's great to see you, and uh, I, I, I'm I'm just honored anytime I get a chance to talk to you, or your dad, anybody, Jimmy, anybody from the Russell family, because I, you know, no one, like you said, there's very few that I would say is actually royalty in the spirits business, but your family certainly is, and and uh, it's uh, good to catch up. And I want everybody, uh, if you get a chance, and you got, you know, you got a little. Got a little spare change around. You want to go out? I would highly recommend you get this, uh, the single Rickhouse collection. It is available in very limited quantities right now. So as soon as you hear this, shut this podcast down and go out and find yourself a bottle. You will uh, be really, really happy that you did. I recommend two, by the way, one for drinking and one for collecting, right? Yeah, that's right. That's the way you got to do it these days. You got to keep one in the, got to keep one stored away either to drink later or if, you know, you got to put your kids through college because that bottle in about 20 years is going to be worth a hell of a lot more than $250. I can tell you that. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. So Bruce, anything else you want to add? Follow you on the social media anywhere? Any, any of that kind of stuff? Yeah. You can find me on uh surprise, I guess, but you can find me on Instagram as Russell's Raga. Um, reach out there or I travel the country about half the time. So if you happen to, to see me on here and then you end up seeing me in LA, Chicago, New York, Austin, Texas, Louisville, Kentucky, where I live, um, give me a shout, say, Hey, you're that dude on that podcast that makes wild Turkey. And you know, I'll get you a pour something good like this Rick house. We'll have a good time. Fantastic. Bruce, I'll see you soon. I'm going to see you in LA in a week or two. So. Yeah, looking forward to that. Cheers, brother. All right, all right, all right. They wanted real bourbon. We were like, well, guess what? (laughs) 
we got it, and we got a lot of it, and we can get it to you. How do you drink? How do you like to drink your bourbon? Yeah, it matters time of day. Like like first one evening, I'll, I'll double rock it, but I end it into the end of the night neat. Yeah, neat into the night. Neat in the night. Do you do cocktails with whiskey? I don't. You don't. I like that, and that's especially with the Long Branch. And that's what I mean. Long Branch. It was about making my favorite bourbon that I like. And my whole goal was the one that I like neat, yeah. the one that I don't want to water down, the one that I don't want to cut it with anything. And that's where we came out with Long Branch. I was talking to Eddie earlier, and he says, yeah, he called me at some ungodly hour. <laughs> it was said, almost daylight. <laughs> and said, this is it. Yeah. This is the one. And he the goes, 88 and he's, bottle. And he's going to tell you. He goes, it started at 44. And he goes, he's probably going to tell you a couple hundred times <laughs> yeah. that he had to try it. 217 bottle. You it was know, 88. How did you know? Like, when, what was it about that one that you hit on that you went, this is it? Well, I happened to be in a great place, um, meaning I was celebrating my birthday in Uvalde, Texas, on the river where I learned to swim. And we were around a campfire, my wife and I with our kids. Um, they were roasting marshmallows and stuff. And I... I'd saved those four latest four pints, 80, 45, 86, 87, or 80, 86 through 88, um, to pull out that yeah. night. And it was, um, I don't know, 11.30 or so. And I pulled it out, and I had a sip of each one, and then I got to this one. And I went, ooh, that's it. But I kept my tongue in my mouth. I didn't tell my wife. I just kept it quiet. I was like, that's it. So then I mixed up the bottles, and I said, here, you try them. And she always tried them along the way, and she tried this one, and she, she goes, that's it. And I was like... That's the one I'm saying is it. That's, That's it. Amazing. So I knew it right then. And it was, yeah, I think it was about four hours later. And how after cool. After I made sure yeah, that, <laughs> that it. it was the one that I gave Eddie a go. Now, how cool was it for you? I think about it like when a movie opens. How cool was it for you when you got that first bottle and you op- you cracked open in the bottle with yeah. the packaging and went, that's the stuff I had on the river? Real cool. I mean, and that was, you know, I did a lot of work on the, the this, this bottle, too. And if you talk about packaging obviously you got to have the product which we have the product but you want the packaging as well so it was very important to me that one if you look at this bottle who's the star the bourbon we i didn't want a big label to hide the beautiful color of this bourbon um look at the shoulders and hips on this bottle um it's a, it's a, by for, for the eye test it's already a much higher price point bourbon than than we sell it for and then the good thing is once you open it up and drink it I think it's, it's still true. It should. It's, it's a much higher uh, price point bourbon than we offer. It, it is a delicious bourbon. That's going to do it for this episode of What We're Drinking. I want to thank Bruce Russell for being here and just for being part of that family that makes such lovely, lovely whiskey. want to uh, encourage you guys to uh, go to the Whiskey X. You know, I MC that thing. They're doing one out here in L.A. on Friday, October 7th. I'll be there. The hostess with the mostest. If you want to come see me, go to thewhiskeyx.com for tickets and information. As always, I invite you to follow me at The Imbiber on Twitter and Instagram. Podcast has an Instagram as well called WWD underscore podcast. Thank you, folks. It really means a lot to me to have you uh, here listening. If you could tell some friends, that'd be great, too. Let's build this thing together, shall we? All right, then. Until next episode. You've been great, really. I want to thank each and every one of you for coming by. Thank you, 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 thank